Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Leadership Lean In. Uh, leaning into the subject of leadership, trying to get just a little bit better. And uh, by no means are we experts on the subject of leadership, but one thing we are is we are learners. And so we're leaning in and we're interviewing, asking questions of great leaders, people that I respect. Thank you everyone for sharing, commenting, subscribing. Uh, it means the world to myself and our team. And so uh, thank you for being amazing. Hope that you are well in the midst of the pandemic. But people, we are talking about reopening. Reopening is a theme right now. And so wherever you join us from, we hope that you are closer to reopening uh, than you were maybe just a couple days ago. I have with me today, I can truly say this, one of my closest friends in the whole world, a monster leader, incredible father, incredible husband, incredible leader and communicator. Please put your hands together, maybe an emoji wherever you are joining us from. Chris Durso is in the house today. Chris What's going on? The people's champion. <laughs> One of the greatest leaders that I know. How That's you feeling? Thank you. I feel good. I feel good coming live from quarantine, New York. You're in quarantine, Queens? Quarantine, Long Island. Quarantine, Long Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> making, our way, making our way through this thing. How you feeling? Yeah, I feel good. I feel great. It is uh, 70 something in uh, Los Angeles today. I look up here because that's where my window is. Uh, it's 70 something uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, I've had a couple coffees. I'm doing the intermittent fasting thing. What are you doing right now? I'm doing intermittent fasting too. Till noon? So yeah, I go from 12 to 8. Yeah, same. So I've got about an hour and a half left and um, I'm a little bit hungry, but I've had enough coffee to survive. I feel good. You're a coffee connoisseur. I'm not as good as you, but for sure, that is that is my go-to. You know what I, I love now, though, is ginger tea. My wife put me ah. into ginger tea, like pure ginger extract extract in hot water, and that's it. I love and that. You get used to it, but my goodness, it, it helps you. It gets you going. So I do like a shot of espresso, I'll do ginger tea, and then I'll do Americano. That's my rhythm. You know what I mean? Like, Get it. Hey, um, I wanted to first ask you, you had a conversation on Sunday. I thought it was really cool. Four churches coming together. Talk to me about uh, what you guys did on Sunday. Yeah, it was was actually great. So uh, Jeremy Foster, Earl McClellan, Jimmy Rollins, all of our friends who we love dearly. uh, We actually recorded something a few weeks ago for Jeremy on racism, on how to deal with racism within church. So it was strictly for leaders. Man, the conversation went so well. It was probably an hour, 40-minute conversation, super engaging, helpful from the responses we were getting. Uh, We just got on the phone right after, and I just said, man, why don't we record something like this for our churches? And then everyone said, I'm down. And then we all said, let's do the following Sunday. And that's what we did. That's what this past Sunday was. So we we recorded the conversation last week. We showed it this Sunday and we went, man, we went 35 minutes and we just, we went there as, as there as possible, you know, hearing from the experiences of Earl and Jimmy, who are two black men living in America that have continual challenges, just dealing with constant racism outside the church, in the neighborhoods, inside the church. And then just me and Jeremy responding from our vantage point 
our perspective, our limited perspective as white people. We live in the same country, but our experiences are so different. So t- talk to me a little bit more about that, because I'm so um, I'm so intrigued. I'm so moved. I'm so bothered by uh, the video that emerged out of Georgia and uh, Ahmad and everything that's happened. We've had some stuff happen in Los Angeles. A good friend of mine posted a video of his cousin uh, being just brutally forced by police gone gun drawn on him for doing nothing. And I'm so bothered by racism. What were some of the key takeaways from the conversation you guys had that we can learn from? Yes, I I think it's for me as a as a white man listening into this conversation, our experiences are not the same, even though we might be in the same area and being mindful so we can be empathetic and aware that this is not the experience. And it's it's okay for me that I am ignorant because it's not my experience. However, I should be able to ask the question and we should be able to have a conversation. The whole idea was around this idea of just having a conversation. I think this is such an intimidating issue. And because we're all embarrassed that it's even a part of our country, white people necessarily may not even know how to approach it. How, How do I respond? What do I say? What don't I say? What should I say? What shouldn't I say? And that was that was the approach. You know, for me, I born and raised Queens, New York, and Queens is actually noted as the most diverse place on the planet. Most languages spoken amongst one another, most nationalities living amongst one another. And yet I've still dealt with racism. I've experienced racism, meaning I've seen it happen growing up. But but the one moment that probably blew my mind the most was when I was going to school in Cleveland, Tennessee. Went to the university. And one of my schoolmates at the time saw a picture of my girlfriend at the time, now wife, Jairus, and he said, Man, your wife, she your girlfriend, she she looks she looks white, but she don't look white white. He goes, What nationality is she? And I said, Well, she's Colombian and German. And he looked at me, he goes, Colombian? Is that like Mexican? <laughs> and you're like, no, that's like a completely different country. Uh, but then he looked back at me. He looked back at me. This is this is the part that got me. He said, man, my church would never allow that. And that's where I had to take a step back. And that was the first time I learned that racism was actually in the church, that there would be churches that would tell their communities not to, not to cross-pollinate. That's how he put it, by the way. You have to stick to your own. That's more language he used. And I just remember thinking, no way. How how is this even possible? And from there, just trying to figure out how do we deal with the pandemic within the church of racism? Um, Because I think the world's going to get darker and darker. Like evil is going to grow. I don't believe that we'll ever be able to stop racism within the world. I hope so. I don't don't think that's going to happen. I do believe as... As a believer, as a pastor, I can take responsibility for the church and say there's no room for this within the church, no way, no how. And I do believe we could we could put our put our best foot forward to eradicate racism from within the church. That I love that. I love that. Yeah, the whole thing bothers me. And I, and I think, you know, again, we have a very limited perspective as white leaders, as white, white people. I think one of the things that's come to my attention this time. And I say this time tragically because it feels like the church, we pop up every time there's a shooting, every time there's some, there's an injustice. 
And I think I learned this time more than ever that my lack of consistency really speaks to the community that feels marginalized here. And my, I, I usually post, I usually am, you know, in the front lines when an emergency is there. And if not, then I'm out. And I think I'm trying to figure out post everything that just happened. How do I, in, a, in the lifestyle of our church, address this? In the lifestyle that I lead, make sure that I'm a voice and an advocate for change. So I don't know what that looks like, but I'm very challenged. I'm very inspired to not be that, well, here comes the white guys posting about, you know, somebody that was shot. This is what they do when it's sexy and vogue and whatever, you know, the positive peer pressure is being poured on. But how do I, as a leader, you know, bring change in the midst of normal life? Man, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's so brilliant, right? Because the one thing that Jimmy and Earl kept saying is like, it, it's life goes on normal for you all, but this is our everyday reality. So just earlier today, I did a staff meeting and we were just um, talking and processing Sunday's conversation together as a team. And I had team members who are black that said, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful that we did this talk because you have to understand this is so normal for me. I deal with so many of these experiences on a daily basis one of our team members admitted that she that in her neighborhood, her own neighbors who see her and know her and her husband on a daily basis, when they're when they're walking outside, they'll they'll cross the street. She also shared that she gets she gets completely overwhelmed at the thought of going outside at night to let's say drive to a restaurant or go to a drive-thru because God forbid they would be pulled over. And for her, this has become normal. So I love I love what you're you're addressing here because what we're saying isn't normal for us. It is normal for someone else. That's right. As, especially as a leader of faith, I have to throw myself and make myself accountable. Like what you're saying, Chad, and say, how do I how do I talk and address about this more and more that it's a part of the normal rhythm? There, there's so many normal things we talk about as faith leaders: shame, guilt. And that's like the normal things. We'll talk about destiny, purpose, man, racism, that, that, that has to be in there that we, we talk about it. Totally. It is happening. Yeah. It is. It's happening. It's happening more than we realize because of our limited ex- experience. But I feel like, um, you know, to lead in New York, to lead in Los Angeles, uh, anybody that's listening, you know, don't feel like it's just because we're in New York or Los Angeles that we need to do that. I feel like it's everywhere. It's lurking in, in cities and communities. I was just talking to a pastor the other day and he was talking about an opportunity to go to a smaller town, move his family to a smaller town to live and kind of have a, a, a easier life. And when he heard about what's happening in the high school, the racism in the high school, his kids said, we're not moving there because I don't want to I don't want to live in a bubble like that. So it's not just major cities. It's lurking in every size of community all over the world. And we've got to do our best to say it has no room in particular, not just in culture, but in particular in the church. Yeah, absolutely. It's a massive deal. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for I, I all to summarize. I thought it was so cool and I thought it was great leadership to step up and address an issue head on with multiple voices that have unique experiences. So thank you for doing that. I, I wanted to ask you about being a leader that takes over for somebody else. 
You know, they, they, they say in leadership, the John Wooden rule is never follow greatness. Like you never want to follow somebody that did great. Like we're watching, everybody's watching the Bulls doc right now. Who wants to follow Michael Jordan? Who, hey, did you notice the last line on the Bulls doc at the, at the end of episode 10? The last line, which I found so interesting, uh, they, they suggested and they, they continue to rebuild. And you're like, you, you can't rebuild after that, by the way. I saw I saw somewhere that the the second most hated person during the pandemic is now Jerry Krause. <laughs> I won't mention the number one anyways. But um, but but there's a lot of leadership there um, in the last dance. And one of them is don't follow greatness. You have had to follow greatness twice. Your brother did a great job leading a youth ministry for years. And then your father, 30 plus years of faithful ministry, built something great, acquired buildings, led thousands, countless people to, to, to Christ and baptism. So in any field, uh, is a massive success. What's it like taking over as a leader? Yeah, man, what, what, what a great question. Um, we, we joke about it. We joke about it. So, you know, in January of 2020, my wife and I became the lead pastors of the very church that we grew up in. My parents been the pastors. They, they started the church. They started Christ Tabernacle, which now the name of the church is the Saints Church. And no easy task at all. And in fact, I get leaders that reach out to me all the time and and they're saying, man, I, I feel like I'm supposed to take my dad's church or I feel like I'm supposed to take on this church. And the question I always ask, I know it's going to sound cliche because I'm a pastor, but the question I always ask is, are you sure? <laughs> me, are you sure? Do you know that you know that you know that this is what you're supposed to do, not what you want to do? Because it could sound easy, by the way. It, it sounds easy, but in my opinion... And in my experience, it's been the most difficult thing that I've ever been a part of. And there's nothing easy about it. Had I not felt like this was what we were supposed to do, had me and Jairus not felt like this was the thing we were supposed to be doing, we would not have done it. And it's not to say that everything else is easy. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that transition is very difficult. Mm. And it's so difficult that you better know that you know that you know, because at moments when you want to quit and it's probably easy to quit, especially in our circumstance, because it is family. And some of those lines get so blurred um, that you got to stick with it. And and I would say to anyone following honor what has been done, but don't memorialize it. Make sure make sure you're you're paying attention to it but also be okay with doing what you're called to do, how you're supposed to do it. Don't go too quick, but man, don't go too slow. It's a, it's a rhythm and it's a pace. And just like anything, I was working out the other day with, with the trainer and, and my trainer told me, Hey, I want you to run from here to there. And we were running together and she's in phenomenal shape. And as I was running, I was running pretty quick. And she looked at me, she goes, you're going to burn out. And I said, no, I'm not. And I kept running. I kept running. And I was probably about 20 feet away from the finish line. And I couldn't make it because I burnt out. Now, had I just paced myself just a, just a little bit, I probably would have made the extra 20 feet. And I think when it comes to transition and taking over something, uh, it, it's all about the pace. It's all about the rhythm. So good. And, and, and to take, listen, there are advantages and disadvantages to both taking over and to both pioneering something. And so one is not easier than the other. 
you and you can't pin one against the other. My God, Chad, I think about what you've done in LA. I remember being with you in Puyallup, Washington, and talking about LA years before you did it and what was on your heart. And then I'm looking at you like, man, this that's no joke, man. LA, and yet you went and you you've plowed and you're here and you're still building. That's no easy task. That's incredible what you what you've done. Uh, so shout out to you and Julian for the phenomenal leaders you are. I I appreciate it, but I but you know I wouldn't want to speak to any leader. It's it, it's never easy. It, it always looks like the grass is greener on the other side. Oh man, if I just would have started and pioneered something, it wouldn't be like what it is. It's like no, there's the, listen. The only way is through in leadership. You got to go through what you're facing. You got to go through what you got to accomplish. And I don't know anybody that's just like it's been so easy. I know people that are the other night I had a um, uh, a live Instagram with Joel Olstein, and I was thinking about him taking over for his dad, thinking about him having the faith to purchase the compact center, having the faith to keep going, facing criticism, facing church changing. And it's like, listen, I don't uh, one of my favorite sayings is Bishop Jake said, all of your heroes are currently getting punched in the face right now. Right. All of the guys you admire, all of the ladies, all of the women we admire and esteem, they're all getting punched in the face right now. There is no easy way out. Right. And I want to talk about this. You have in your leadership faced disappointment like all of us. Yeah. You have faced fallout. You have faced um, uh, uh, hard seasons, difficult seasons personally from a family standpoint, your son getting sick. How have you been able to persevere and overcome disappointment in your leadership? Yeah, I, th- I think the overarching thought for me would be in the back of my mind, or the front of my mind, and every season knowing that every season has to come to an end. And because it has to come to an end, I want to, I want to be able to look back at every season and say, I handled it the right way. I have a plethora of moments of my own life and seasons of my own life that I look back and I go, man, I didn't handle it like I would have wanted to. Um, and, and that's okay because those are stories that I could glean from and share with someone else so that someone doesn't make the mistakes that I've made. But I, I just look at every season, especially now in this juncture of my life, and I say, I want to be able to be proud of how I handled myself because I can't control what's happening around me, but I can control what's happening in me. And leaders, we have to be so mindful of our thoughts. We have to be so mindful of our words. We have to be so mindful of what we're listening to and who we're listening to mm. because everything is going to have an effect on us. And it's not to say that what you're hearing isn't good. It just may not be good for you in the season that you're in. You know, what, what I necessarily did not need, you know, when I went through our transition, which, by the way, was four years. And what I did not need, it was was the stories of the people complaining about their transition. It's not to say that I couldn't learn from it, but if I listen to too much of that, it's going to affect as I go through, because you just said it perfectly. All leaders, we must go through. We must persevere. Yeah, absolutely. You, you you have to. And it's a decision at the end of the day. It's just a decision. It's a decision to say, I'm facing this. I'm going through this. This is something that, like you said, it's not going to last forever. But on the other side of it, are you going to come out bitter or are you going to come out better? That's right. So much of life and especially leadership is a decision. It is not an emotion. 
It is the choice that I make. I choose to be a good steward. I choose to have a great attitude. I choose to forgive and to move on. I choose to accept responsibility for the things. You know, I'd love to blame this employee or that leader, blame so-and-so, but it's their fault. Leadership is choosing the responsibility to say, really, it's, it's on me. And I love that because one of the things I think great leaders do is they never allow others to control the narrative of their life. They, 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 you, you see this for us in our cul-de-sac from a biblical basis. We see this in the life of Joseph. His brothers come, they've sold him into slavery. They, he's been away for them for years. And when they bow down to him and they feel bad and they think Joseph's going to get him back, he says, you guys did not do this. God in his sovereignty put me here. So he basically says, you don't get to control the narrative of my life. Right. You, you didn't do this. God did this to me. Talk to me about times in your life when you've had to go like, I'm not going to give so-and-so the control they want over the narrative of my life. That's a great question. You know, I, people are generally going to just lead from their perspective. They're going to internalize things and respond through how they have filtered life. And whatever their filter is, that's what's going to come out of them. Um, what, what I have found, whether it was doing youth ministry or operating as a, the number two to my dad for four years into now just a few months of leading the church, uh, what I've learned in every one of those seasons uh, to, to that to that question is that in every position that I've taken on, there have been people with ideas of how I should be doing what I'm doing. And I have now the choice whether I'm going to lean in and accept their words or if I'm going to back out and say, that's not what I need to be doing right now. And even the boldness to confront, by the way. So I don't, I don't ever like the idea of, well, I'm not having a conversation with you if you're not for me. I could have a conversation with someone and I could learn from anybody. What I choose to do with the information they give me, though, that's on me. Like you said, it's it's a decision. And there are so many people with ideas on how we're supposed to lead the church. There, there are people that had ideas. Why are you going to change your name from, from Christ Tabernacle to Saints Church? And no matter how much I share the story, no matter how much I share the moment that, that I was praying and I felt that this was it doesn't matter because they have their own ideas and that that's typically faith isn't it where where you believe you're supposed to do something you step out to do it at first they're going to question why you're doing it and then after you're done with it they're going to look at you and say how did you do it and i have to be i have to be confident enough in my gut my, my instinct my living to know that this is the right direction. And I, I love that, that question, by the way, because, because it, it is pretty great. You know, some might say, ignore people. Some might say, well, take, take a census and ask everyone. You have to figure out what works for you and you have to figure out what your rhythm looks like and how you're, and how you're willing to work. Because if you're going to be persuaded, if you're persuaded so easily, those are not the conversations you should be having. Stick to the game plan, create your tunnel vision and know what you need to do. So I can, I can hear what they say, but I have to make sure that that voice is not louder than for me, believing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and louder than the Holy Spirit telling me, this is what you need to do. This is the way walking in it. Mm. So good. 
So good. I love that. I, 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 I want to ask you about something that I love about you. And that is you have, in my opinion, such extreme favor on your life. And favor is one of those things that some people might say, well, that's just the way it is. You're born that way. But I think you can increase in favor. You can grow in more favor. Favor is like influence. Favor abounds. You grow in it. I want to talk to you about how do you grow in favor and how have you handled the favor that is on your life? Because you travel the world. Your, your, your name is known. People love you. I call you the people's champ because everywhere we go, everywhere I've been with you, people love you. They're uh, 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 um, just drawn to you. They're loyal to you. So you have great favor on your life. You have favor with you know people in high positions. How have you grown in your favor? And then how have you stewarded and handled favor? Because th- let's be honest, favor ain't fair. We know that. But favor can get you some spears thrown at your life. Yeah. How have you handled the favor that's that's on your life? Well, first off, thank you for saying that. You're the best. You're the kindest. I love you. Um, you know, I think when it comes to, when I, I think what we're really talking about is the lot that each one of us has, the, the calling that each one of us has. And, and I remember a conversation with you years ago. You said, I never try to walk through a door that doesn't open. In other words, I'm not going to try to kick down on anything. So I'm not going to pursue the door that isn't open for me. I'm going to walk through the doors that are already open. And as I walk through it, that becomes the easier path, by the way. You know, the thing about Joseph, you mentioned Joseph. and I, I love that story of Joseph. I think about Joseph, the way that he stewarded his favorite. In that moment, he could have put his brothers to death. He could have he could have killed them. He could have annihilated them, right? Because they sold him into slavery, and then he ends up uh, being on top. He goes from the pit to the palace, right? We, we 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 know all of that that jargon, all of that preaching. When you think about the beginning of Joseph's life, when we first meet him, he has a dream. And in his dream, he has his bundles of wheat, and his brothers have their bundles of wheat, and his brothers' bundles of wheat start to bow down to him. I think in that moment, he didn't interpret it properly. He didn't even know what was happening. But then later on, here, his brothers, the reason why they're in front of him is because they're in a drought. There's a famine in the land. And now the fruition of the dream is actually their food supply is bowing down to Joseph's food supply. And now how is Joseph going to respond? Can he just mock them and make fun of them? Or can he go, you know what? I was already warned about this moment. So, of course, they were going to do what they did to me. However, that does not that does not dismiss me from now feeding them. And I think that as leaders, we have to know that our calling is bigger than us. It's it's not about it's not about people knowing us. People are going to know us. Right. Craig Rochelle would, would talk about the difference between fame and influence as a leader. You don't want fame. You want influence. And the way that you 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 get influence is the way that you steward your daily decisions. My decisions are not necessarily to serve Chris Durso, but my decisions are for the greater good of those around me and for those that I'm leading. I could have, Joseph could have thrown his brothers in jail, but he decided to go, you know what, I'm going to feed them in this moment, which is now where we start to get into some real kingdom mindset of like turning the other uh, the other cheek and, not, and treating others how you want to be treated. I think all of that has to do with favor. 
I think how you steward every moment, whether it's a private conversation, a green room, a stage, a, a deal, an Instagram, all of it, I, I think it's about how you how you steward it, and it's it's the it's the, the constant it's the constant checking of your own heart and your own mind and making sure why am I making this decision? Is this because it's just going to better me, or is it going to better the people around me? Am I doing this because I want to be known? Or am I doing it because I'm stewarding what I've been given, in my case as a pastor, so that God could be known, so that people could have hope, so that people could find Jesus? And I, I think it's understanding the inception of it all. And I thank you for saying it, but I'm only walking through the doors that God is opening for me. It's great. I'll steward it once I walk through the door. That's on that's on me. But thank God I have the Holy Spirit to guide me and lead me through each door that I open. I think favor is a, it's such an interesting dynamic and we could also use the word grace uh, because there is a sphere of influence as a grace that you're that's just just supernatural you can't do anything about it and so does it increase and abound does you I think we should um, be strong in the grace be strong in the favor that's on your life and the more you steward something I do believe much of leadership is being faithful with what's in, what's in front of you, faithful what's in your hand, because then you'll be faithful with much. And so there's a trust thing that's, um, I think God's watching. I think God's hoping to elevate. I think it's in spite of us, he still does. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. It's, I, I look at the favor. That, I mean, you I think your family was on like Ebony magazine, like, uh, how uh, what was that magazine you guys were in years ago? Oh, uh, Vibe magazine. Vibe magazine. Like, how old were you? Oh man, yeah, I might have been. I don't know, twenty. Twenty years old. So it's like it's like, it, it, but that doesn't stop there. It keeps expanding and growing. And uh, at what part is our stewardship? What part is God? We do not know. But I think it's important to talk about as leaders to always believe that you are growing in, in, in increasing in influence. Yeah, I, I, like, I like you saying your favor and your grace. I love that you just said that because that, that, that's what allows me or any leader, by the way, to, to freely be themselves yeah. as, opposed to, as opposed to competing. My wife said this to me the other day. She said, how beautiful would it be as if our leaders, we, we, we cultivate a culture where we're not trying to compete, but we're trying to collaborate. Because your ideas and my ideas, they make me better. And I'm only going to grow as as far as I'm supposed to grow. And I'm only going to be able to do what I'm supposed to do. And if I can learn from you and I can take what you got and I can apply to where I'm at, I'm not looking and saying, man, Chad is doing this or, or Chris is doing that because I'm comfortable in my grace zone. That's right. Really what I'm supposed to get. That's right. I don't want more. I don't want less. That's right. And, uh, and that, that, that's such a major, that's such a major piece of it. So I, I love that we're talking about this. It's a major piece. And I think it goes back to identity. I think it goes back to confidence. I think it goes back to knowing who you are. And the more you have that, the, the, the better off you'll be. Uh, Chris, I don't know if I'm frozen in your window, but you are frozen in my window. There you go. Now I got you back. You froze for a second, but I got you. I want, I want to ask you, gosh, I love talking leadership uh, with you. We've been doing this for so many years, talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. W talking about failure. What is one of the biggest mistakes you have made that you can help 
save somebody some time and some heartache and some energy of going. Because I think this is just life. Life is about failing forward. One of my favorite books I ever read was from John Maxwell. And all of us are chock full of tons of failure. There's a thing about Michael Jordan, going back to the last dance, one of my favorite commercials was he's like, I've airballed X amount of you know, game winners and I've missed X amount of free throws and I've did it. And because I failed so many times, that's why I succeed. So much of leadership is just going like, that was a doozy. That was not it. That was not how to handle. What's one of the mistakes you can look back on and go, man, I wish I could have a mulligan and a redo on this. Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. Um, when I think of, yes, I, I get excited because I'm like, ooh, you want to talk about failure? I have failed so many times. I'm the expert on failing. Um, one, one, one of the areas that I've, I've known that I've failed in is in communicating with team. So not communicating from like a stage, but communicating, I've failed there too, but communicating, communicating to team, thinking that I'm getting them to understand what I'm saying. And I think when you operate at, at a place when you're overseeing something, so as the lead pastor or the CEO, you can get so excited about something and you see it in your head as then you want to go and you want to share it with your team and you're hoping that they get equally as excited or you're hoping that equally they catch the vision and they see it the way that you see it. And I can just look back over my life and go, man, there's so many moments that I either spoke prematurely or I shared too little thinking that they were seeing what I was seeing. Uh, just a few weeks ago, in the, in the midst of COVID, by the way, we're, we're dealing with, with so much, just like the, the, the rest of the world, and we're trying to figure out how do we become a virtual church. We didn't necessarily have the equipment that we wanted. We didn't necessarily have the setup that we wanted. So we're, we're recording services and the team is putting in work. They are, they're just going so hard. And we have this idea to, to do something to just to add, to enhance our services, reach more people. And one of, one of our team members that doesn't necessarily give these kind of ideas spoke up and it was like a home run idea. So I was so excited about the idea and I was so excited that this team member showed up. So I called my assistant, I said, I want you to get the whole team, uh, my whole creative team on a call. Let's get on the call. And I'm like, guys, uh, and as I'm trying to communicate, the call drops. And the call drops, my whole team's waiting for me. And we, for some reason, it's one of those freakish things. We can't get back on the call. I think it was like an issue with Zoom or something like that. And when they were all finally able to get back on the call, I already had to be in another meeting. So I text my assistant. I'd say, just share with them what I shared with you. So as she's communicating with them, she's, she's simply communicating what I shared. But I never told her the intent of why I was sharing it. So this team that is killing themselves, putting in 60 hours just to get up one service, they're now thinking I'm giving more work. And all I really wanted to do was celebrate this team member's idea, which this idea we weren't even going to implement right now. We were going to have to put it on the back burner. And as a result, the team wasn't excited. They were completely overwhelmed. And when I circled back, guys, isn't this amazing? They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's amazing because they're just the best. And they're like, when we walk this by and they're freaking out, I'm like, no, no, that's, that's not what I meant. And I just think, I just think that miscommunication is, is one of the biggest issues 
in, in any leader's life. And, and the higher up you go, because you, you ultimately are, are visionary, we have to make sure that we are communicating clearly, honestly, concisely. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite books, or well, one of my favorite authors is Patrick Lencioni, and he wrote the book, The Advantage. And in the book, The Advantage, he just talks about this, this idea of being brutally honest. And he has a team around him that understand that he gets to be brutally honest. And when he communicates with them, he gets to say it however he, he feels it. But in the same regard, the team gets to ask the same questions to match the intensity. Not a disrespectful way, but if you're going to ask this of me, let me honestly share how I'm receiving this and so that I could then move forward properly. That is such a lost art or maybe an undeveloped art, especially in church world, where people are not communicating as clearly as they need to. And so to really answer your question, I have seen so many moments, and, and I would say in nine out of 10, the moments that I would list off, whether it was a youth ministry operating the number, number two, and I was the lead pastor, it's because I did not communicate as clearly as I should have. And here's what I mean by communicating clearly. Not only say what I want, but give a timeline, create expectation, listen to the feedback, and then lead the conversation with a decision made. I think too often we like to break brainstorm and be, because because we we like to brainstorm we just want to throw it out there but but I'm throwing it off of me but then I'm putting it on you and what was a good idea for me is now pressure for the person that has you know a thousand other things on on their list I I think it's it's so important to to communicate clearly and I've had I've had moments I've, whether I wanted to do a big conference whether I wanted to rent a venue whether I wanted to do a surprise whatever and and just not realizing that communication is a two way street. And if I want my team to operate the healthiest, I need to listen. I need to hear where they're at. I also need to help them. I also need to help them make sense of it. I love when people will say, hey, so what do you want me to do? How could I prioritize this? Is this a number one for me or a number four for me? Because you just gave me 10 things and they all can't be number one. And right. I say that, but then eventually they're going to burn out and they're going to be gone. Right. That's so good. I love that. It, bless the hearts of every creative person that is watching this stream, watching, listening to this podcast. We have no idea what the last three months have been like for you. The creative team before the pandemic was just creating, having fun, drinking coffee, video, graphic. The pandemic hit and they were like in finals mode for three months. It's game set. <laughs> Absolutely. We love y'all. Uh, last question. I want to end with this. Yeah. You have uh, had the privilege of being around some of the greatest leaders that you and I can name. And uh, again, that is the favor of God on your life and the stewardship and the decisions that you've made in your personal life. Uh, what What is, I love to ask this question of, of leaders. What is the common thread that you see in greatness? Something you go, you know, the personality is different and the delivery system of how they deliver is different. But I, when I'm around greatness, I can sense it or I always take this away. What's a common thread that you see in greatness? 
the discipline. So that that the self-discipline is what I just see across the board. And and if I can name two great leaders that that we both love and are friends of ours, but we we respect dearly, uh, if I were to compare Craig Rochelle, who's the man, Brian Houston, who is the man, and and they lead different churches, but they both lead phenomenal churches, incredible churches. Both churches will go down and they will make history and the world will, will talk about Hillsong Church from the music to the leadership to the conferences. I mean, all of it. And then they'll talk about Life Church and the way that Craig Rochelle led and, and his leadership podcast. And, and we'll talk about how incredible he is. And I remember one time, I remember one time being in Austin, Texas for Pastor Joe Champion. And he was asking me about, about any ideas that I had. And he said, man, are you working on a book? And I said, actually, I am. And uh, he said, man, I want you to talk to my friend, Craig Rochelle. And, and we had obviously known of Pastor Craig, but I had not gotten a chance to meet him. This is years ago. This is years ago. And, and, and the next morning when I had like a, I don't know, 6 a.m. pickup to go to the airport, uh, Pastor Joe texts me, he says, hey, call this number. You got 30 minutes. And I get on the phone. And it's Pastor Craig Rochelle, and, and he's so kind. And he says, Chris, I got 30 minutes uh, of free time. What do you want to talk about? And he gave me 30 minutes. And, and I knew that if he's going to give me 30 minutes, I'm going to take 29. And I'm going to totally respect his time. I'm not going to ask for more. And everything that we were talking through right away, he right away went to structure. He right away, right away went to the decisions I was making, how I was making it, was I be consistent in my follow through. But now think about just the idea. It wasn't only the conversation, but it was the framework that the conversation was happening in because he said it was 30 minutes. And guess what? It was 30 minutes. It didn't go 31 minutes. It didn't go 32 minutes. But my expectations were, were, were perfect because he said we had 30 minutes and I knew we had 30 minutes. And that's exactly what we did. On the other side, I'll never forget uh, talking with Pastor Brian Houston and Pastor Brian uh, talking. And he said, he said, you have what you allow and talk about the discipline of you have what you allow. So if it's happening in your world as a leader, you got to take ownership of it. It means that you allowed it. So if you want things in theory to the last 30 minutes, Make sure you keep it at 30 minutes. And I'll never forget, as, I, as I've watched both of these men who are two of my heroes, by the way, as I've looked at their lives, I've just seen that common thread of discipline and consistency and them staying on mission to do what it is that they're supposed to do. They make decisions and they stick with their decisions and they follow through with their decisions. And I've, I've also noticed in moments where they need to change up things, they'll swing to that decision, they change it and, and, they, and they run with it. And I want to be the kind of leader, Chad, that is consistent in every area of my life. I don't necessarily want to be a consistent preacher. I want to be a consistent human. And if I'm a consistent human, it's going to play out in my preacher. It's going to in my preaching. It's going to play out in my fathering. It's going to play out in me being a spouse. It's going to play out in me being a friend because I'm disciplined. I have what I allow. I'm taking responsible responsibility for what's around me. I'm not doing anything more. I'm not doing anything less. 
And when I look at both of those men, what a great question, by the way. When I look at both of those men, they're, they're consistent. There's never been a time with them that I see them operate out of character, which shout out to God, by the way, who gives us the Bible, right? He gives us this, this beautiful book called the Bible, and, and this is his full character. We never see God operate outside of his character. He is consistent. And I just believe that as leaders, if we want to honor God, let's make decisions. Let's let's figure out what our values are. Let's let's make a game plan. And then guess what? Let's follow through. Let's stick to it. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. And th- this is one of my favorite conversations because I just think here we are in quarantine and every day looks the same. Every day looks the same. <laughs> At least Monday through Saturday. Sunday is still game day and we're on you know, these platforms that we're figuring, but Monday through Saturday looks the same. You know what that tells me? I could be consistent in my Monday through Saturday. I could do an intermittent fasting and I'm going to start eating at 12 and I'm going to stop eating at 8. I have no excuse because I don't have late night meetings now. I don't have to go meet someone in a restaurant. I'm not driving to the city to go hang with a friend because they flew in town. I, I have to remain consistent. And I think the thing that I love about the season is if I can't remain consistent in quarantine, it says more about me than it does anything else. And I'm not, I'm not talking about adding unnecessary pressure. What I'm saying is I have what I allow. So I can't control what I'm eating. I can't control how many meetings I'm saying yes to. I can't control whether I get to my five mile run that I said I wanted to do three times a week. Consistency. And that, that's the kind of leader, that's the kind of leader I wanna, I wanna be. Can I say one more thing? Oh, uh, please. Yeah. If I have if I have a mission, if, if I'm on an assignment, if God says, Chris, I want you to pastor a church in Queens, New York, that is my mission. And I have to dream up what I want to see that look like. Great. Which says, write down the vision, right? And, and make it clear as day. What I love about that story, by the way, is Habakkuk goes to God with a complaint. God responds to Habakkuk's complaint and says, write down the vision. God doesn't give Habakkuk the answer. He says, instead of instead of verbalizing your frustrations, let's point out the answer, write a vision. And now here's the deal. Make it really clear so that people could run with it. Figure out my mission. My mission then dictates my, my vision. And my vision is what I keep to. When I think about leadership and when I think about self-discipline and I, and I know now this has become like a, a little bit of a different type of conversation, but, but here's it. how I think if I am on mission, my mission dictates my decisions, not the other way around. My mission dictates my decisions, not the other way around. Here's what I mean. My decisions don't dictate my mission. I've agreed to something. Therefore, I'm going to pursue it. And because I'm going to pursue whatever decisions I have to make in order to get there, that's what I'm going to do. So if I want to be, if I want to be a healthy, a healthy human for my family and for my church, then every decision that I make when it comes to my eating and when it comes to my working out and my sleep pattern and and what I'm listening to and how I'm spending my time, it's going to, it's going to affect the mission. And because I'm, I'm a man on a mission, for lack of a better term, that has to be the thing that stays in front of me. And that's why I don't eat certain things or go certain places or have certain conversations because my mission dictates my my decisions. And the only way that that happens is 
consistency and discipline. Whew. I was going to clap before you said the other thing. And now I'm going to clap to summarize all of that. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal answer. And thank you for taking the, the time to really answer that from your heart. I feel like we got the the truest version of you right there. And I really appreciate you leaning in to what you have learned. And I feel like you're such a student of leadership. You're always leaning into greatness. You're always leaning into your team and to those that are around you. And so I honor you for the decisions that you're making. And I do know you're a man on mission. It's a new season at Saints Church. It's a new season in the Durso household. And we're very excited for you. Uh, we, uh, the only thing we failed to talk about and cover today is rap music, which we'll uh, table for another podcast. Okay. We're going to do it in another, in another podcast. You're going to have to tune in and come back. East Coast, West Coast. East Coast, West Coast will be the next time we get gathered. We'll, we'll break it down for y'all. Some of y'all are tripping and thinking, you know, this guy, that guy. We will set the record straight the next time we gather. Absolutely. But I love you so much. Thank you for being you. Keep going, keep dreaming, keep swinging for the fences, and um, who knows where this thing's going to land. If your dad brought it this far, what has he set you up for, and uh, what is God dreaming for you guys? I can't even imagine. So I love you so much. Everybody, make some noise for Chris. I'm so used to saying that everybody makes some noise like we're on the YouTube and the Facebook chats. (laughs) I'm just realized, wait, this is a podcast. This is not a live stream. Nobody can make some noise. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. You are one of the greatest leaders I know. You're one of my best friends. And I just, I, I love leadership leading. I'm a, I'm a regular listener. So to be a part of it is an honor. Just thank you for helping us with, with just these conversations. You're the Thanks. best. You're the best. Well, we'll talk to you soon for sure. Give your love to the family, please. Okay.